0: So, hi, David. Welcome back. Now um, I would like to know, you know, with your JDBC shop and Perl. So, um, you, you, what I learned is you started to generate some Java code with Perl as well, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I really got into generating code. I still do that to this day. Okay. It's a permanent, it's a per, not necessarily Perl, but Bash. Okay. Uh, or just generating code in, any way you can. Uh-huh. If I were to give a tip to people, I would say... You get re- get really comfortable with Bash. Bash is your best friend, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know if you have a test case that works, and you want to change out the data mm-hmm. to cover all your scenarios, mm-hmm. or if you have a matrix problem where, for example, you want to test, you have you've got twenty REST endpoints to each have a different name, mm-hmm. and you want to test to see how they behave. With a post, a put, a delete, a get, so on, you can you 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 can uh, do that really really easily by generating that code. You make the one method that says assert when I send the, to this URL with this method, I get this response. So okay. One line, right? Make it so you can have like one assert statement that's long. You got to wrap up your assert statements. Obviously, you could see you could say assert assert request. Mm -hmm. and you pass in those variables you can go to the command line and in in bash and you can write we can write very easily something that will take uh the first series of potential values the second series of potential values and the third series of potential values and and then it will basically expand it for you Mm -hmm. so you don't even need three loops okay and uh and so it's bash has some amazing syntax and so you just you give the first list of values the second list of values and the third list of values and it will spit it all out mm-hmm. in one long thing and you've got it all generated you know that's interesting or you can okay. or you can do like three loops too but that you know that's fine if, if you know it's really I, really I op- convenient yeah
0: i try to automate actually everything not with bash rather than with z shell but i think it's not. Hey, it's the same it's the same yeah. Yeah, you get, and, get comfortable
1: uh, with the scripting language in, yeah. in Linux, really comfortable with the scripting language in Linux. And
0: what I recognize is actually it is really a programming language, right? You have you can totally. have functions, you can have if statements, you can have uh, default parameters for, uh, for arguments, let's say. So what I usually do, you know, all my Maven scripts are wrapped with a shell, Z shell script. And and why I'm doing this? Not to forget things how they get invoked. So if I have a small project, usually I find it all built or run, and this contains whatever I need to run the project. So this was like you no know, documentation for me.
1: Totally, you know, there's a you should automate everything that you, everything. First of all, I have a very big habit. I got a tip from my from the people that I worked with at that previous job that I was talking about in the previous episode, Mike and Dave. You know that they, they they never you know they they never threw anything away you know they kept all their scripts that those were source code to them they are because they were really critical to them because it was the secret of their productivity right to write all these things that did all this work and some of the work that those things did was actually coding work right they didn't automate just turning systems on and off and deploying apps they wrote you know stuff to automate the generation of code and uh and so yeah i i, I put everything in my bin directory and i've i've never deleted a single one ever so i have like literally hundreds of scripts in my bin directory from the last you know 20 plus years of of coding and uh yeah don't don't ever delete anything and if you've done anything more you know if you if you have to do it more than once sit down and write a script do not just sit there and type that same command or repeat or hit the up arrow a bunch, a bunch of times. And just write a script. You, know, you will be slower at first. At first, you'd be like, I can do it faster if I just type it out one by one. But eventually, you'll be faster writing the script than you could be typing it out one by one. There's a flip that happens. Mm-hmm. But, there but there is one downside.
0: It. If you start with a script, um, you don't learn you know, the underlying API a lot. For instance, I'm 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 working with AWS or with Asia, and what I did at the beginning, I didn't write any scripts. I just used the CLI directly over and over again to see whether there are some patterns which I can memorize, and then I wrote. The okay. Script. Otherwise, if you start with the script, you have no idea what actually happens after a while. But if you know are using the API for a while and then write a script, yeah, 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 then you never forget that. So this you, is you, what I, yeah,
1: yeah, you absolutely, you absolutely, you know. A big mistake is to automate something you've never gotten to do successfully once manually.
0: Or not once, multiple times, because you do sure. it once. yeah, exactly.
1: At least mm-hmm. once, right? You gotta least, have okay. you have to have at least been able to do it once successfully mm-hmm. manually. Mm-hmm. You have to know exactly where you're going, right? Exactly. You, you know, it, once you've gotten success to occur manually, mm-hmm. complete success to your definition, then, you know, go ahead and, and script it up.
0: So what what I what I tried is like almost like script driven development, like you know test driven development. So I started with the script and then automated this, and uh, just ignored the errors, then improved, improved, and it worked. But I didn't learn anything; it just worked. So and then I changed the strategy. So
1: just yeah,
0: so. interesting. So what happened in the company? So you built the most perfect JDBC driver, or what was the story? Well, event? they did,
1: and I and I and I was an understudy.
0: Uh, okay. They did. So they, they, they
1: continued to, to, to work there. I got an opportunity. My f- my friend from the previous banking gig that I was at, Richard Munson Haefel, he contacted me a few months into that uh, job. And he said, hey, you know, I got an opportunity to uh, uh, work on an EJB container uh, with this company. And uh, it's an open source thing. Would you like to would you like to join me? Mm-hmm. and my first question was what's open source mm-hmm. uh so i had no idea at the time what it was uh richard had written a book for o'reilly uh the, he wrote the the ejb book for o'reilly mm-hmm. and so he was really famous at that time and uh and really prolific when he, i remember him i remember him while he was there at the banking gig writing the book on the side And him coming into work one day with his head like tilted to the side, like glued to the side. It was just stress had basically twisted his neck (laughs) and he couldn't straighten it out. Uh Right. He just had his shoulder just just seized up. And and that's how much stress he was under. But he was such a good author and is such a good author. Anyway, so uh, he he got he was working. He'd worked with uh, EJ Boss just a little bit. Uh, and got recruited out of there to write an EJB container by uh, Intalio. At, at the time, they were called Exolab. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he contacted me because I was sort of like this young kid that was, you know, up and coming. And he wanted me to be on his team. So I left the JDBC gig job to. But,
0: but how he found ha- you? I mean, if you. We worked. To know...
1: We worked together at the banking gig. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So the job that I had uh, you know, in the discussed in the previous one where uh, okay. I wrote a web server and then became yeah. the swing guy um, you know, in my my first year programming Java, he was there with me at that time and we became okay. friends. And uh, you know, so we were friends from, from from that time period. And so when he got this opportunity to work on uh to, to create an EJB container in open source, uh he called me up and he asked me to to join him and i said yes and i left the job that i was in writing jdbc drivers is only there like 4 months okay um so you know wasn't wasn't long but uh so i started working this was 1999 i left that job J- jdbc driver so uh i started working on open ejb uh in 1999 of december uh-huh. And in 1999, of 9 of December is when Emily and I were married. Uh-huh. So my career in open source and my marriage started at the same time, which is really kind of symbolic because, as we discussed in the previous episode, at the end of my first year of college, I spent, you know, $5,000, $2,500 on a computer and 2500 in on a trip to Ecuador. And I became married to an Ecuadorian woman and went into software. And so this was like, this was like revisiting that symmetry again. The same month that I was married is the same month that I got into open source. And so uh, you know, I, I've been working on uh, OpenEJB ever since. And now it's Tommy, of course, but uh, but that was my introduction into open source. Uh, was back then working on you know co-founding OpenEJB with Richard.
0: What was the business model behind? open source GB container because back then not was... much
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> not much so so basically what happened was uh uh X exo uh I forget which one was the X office was the company and ExoLab was the open source incubator and at that time Exolab had um open JMS They had Tyrex, which is a transaction manager, Open Orb, Open EJB, and Caster, which was kind of like a persistence engine, right? An object, an OR mapper. And the whole, the the vision was to put it all together to make like an app server kind of environment in open source or to take the open source components and make a proprietary app server. Because at the time, app servers were everywhere. This is... December 1999. So there was WebLogic, of course, which is kicking butt. BlueStone, uh,
0: gemstone,
1: gemstone,
0: persistence Power tier.
1: Has just is There's so many of them. Yeah. It's a difficult to remember all of the names. And so there was a there was a ton. There was app servers being created. It seemed like every other day. So the vision of Open EJB was well, let's be an embeddable EJB container that these people creating app servers, they can just shove it into their, into their stack and they can get compliance with the EJB spec. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we were, you know, focused on being, you know, embeddable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but yeah, in terms of business model, was no business model. Okay. So XOffice XO, eventually ended up running out of money and canceling most of their open source projects, including OpenEJB and uh rebranding themselves as intaglio and got into bpm and with that direction uh before while the project was winding down we started doing work with apple because mm-hmm. apple you know this whole concept of we're going to write an ejb container that you can embed into your app server was really appealing to apple because they wanted web objects which is a which is an app server Mm-hmm. but in objective c and things like that they wanted to appeal to the java community so they wanted to write something they wanted to basically expand web objects so that it could be a java app server mm-hmm. so they took open ejb and open orb and they shoved it to antirex and they shoved them together into web objects and so i did a lot of work with apple in the kind of like 2000 range and so this was well, this is when um uh, you know those this was in the very first IMAX were coming out. When I say coming out, I mean like they weren't out yet.
0: Have you attended the Java One in the year 2000? I did. What I remember is they announced at Java One that the web, web object, uh, uh, they cut, cut the cost from 50K to 5K. And Steve Jobs participated at Jabba One. He was at the keynote with Scott McNeedy.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and open ejb was in web objects and i wrote you know it was yeah. it was crazy it was it was a very surreal experience because i was like 23 or 24 yeah and uh so it was a very surreal experience because i had in my house uh an imac before there were any commercials or anything for them <laughs> i had i had like osx public beta number 1 on it and the thing couldn't even connect to a network easily. Mm-hmm. You know? And they were like, Can you do some testing on that? I'm like, the the thing barely ran. So uh OSX public beta number one is the first version of OSX that I ever used. And uh and so yeah, it was it was I mean like I literally shoved the, the thing in my closet because it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> it d- <laughs> it didn't work. Um, you know. But uh, yeah, it was really crazy, so did so the other people o-
0: pick you because of open g that so they approach you and say, oh, can we cooperate and what was sort of behind? yeah it?
1: And, yeah, so they contacted xof x office okay. uh, and 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 they you know basically paid x office some money mm-hmm. to uh for us to work with them mm-hmm. uh to basically get uh open e j. b and open orb okay. uh, and tyrex integrated into web objects and uh the terms of the license we were using back then was like an Apache 1.0 style license, which had the attribution clause in it, which is not there anymore. The attribution clause basically said, you can use it in a commercial setting, but you have to give us credit. And so on the side of the WebObjects box, OpenEGB was listed on the box. So it was really cool. You know, It was good for me because... I, you know, as discussed in the previous episode, I basically failed everything. <laughs> uh, I didn't I didn't even talk about it, but I didn't even have four years of high school. I basically dropped out after the third year because I wasn't going to finish in a time frame that would allow me to. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I got an HSED and then joined, and went into college instead. Is basically instead of having like, you know, five years of high school, I decided to, to, to split after three and go try to get into college, which I did anyway, so, you know, people would ask me how, how, you know, I would go, I would be from, you know, from the Wisconsin, Minnesota area. So I'd be working in the Mall of America or something like that. And I might see a high school friend and they would go, hey, what are you up to? And I would, I'd be like, oh, I'm pretty good. I would walk them over to the Apple store. I'd pick up the box. (laughs) I would say, I wrote that. And I'd point at Open and I'd say, you know, I wrote that. Uh They'd be like, wow. And then I would go, oh, let's go over to the Barnes Noble. And I had contributed to a book. Um, you know, object-oriented software, you know, com- uh, you know, uh, component-based software engineering kind of book. I'd written a chapter on EJB in there. And so then I would, I would go, no, let's go over to the to Barnes & Noble. And I would then I would pull the book off the shelf and I'd flip to my chapters. I wrote that. It was crazy. So it was a really strange career high to have when you're like 23 or 24 Especially when you've not done well uh, mm-hmm. in school for just like your whole time, that and was
0: really really con- interesting. How much you contributed to opening EGB? Like eighty percent or 50? fifty? Fifty. Okay. I mean,
1: yeah, Richard and I. It, it was great. Richard was. Real, I mean, Richard did. Richard was my mentor. Okay. You know, Richard was the guy who. Uh, you know, he got. He was. He boosted my career. I was able to do these things because Richard pulled me into these things. You know, he pulled me into open source. He pulled me, he got me that book opportunity. You know, people, you know, Addison Wesley asked him to to to, to do that chapter in that book. And he said, well, I, I'm not available, but I know somebody who can do it. And he pulled me in. I mean, my first speaking opportunities, Richard was the guy who pushed me into those or pulled me into those. I spoke at Java 1 in 2000. Uh, and I was in a panel with Richard and myself to represent Open EJB, Mark Fleury and Rickard Oberg to represent EJ boss at the time and but this he, was a crazy he,
0: experience. The Java One two thousand was like thirty thousand attendees, right? Was yeah. Big, yeah.
1: Yeah. Officially I think they had to say it was twenty thousand because yeah, exactly. of fire code. Yeah, and then exactly. they're like they're they're like wink, wink, wink. It's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like the official number is twenty thousand, wink, wink, wink. And they didn't really hide the winks. They were, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it was, it was very crazy. Uh, the, the, so that was like life in 2000 for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, then the September 11th, 2001 happened. And, of course, mm-hmm. the the bubble burst. Mm-hmm. And I was totally out of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was kind of interesting. I actually am very kind of thankful in many ways that that occurred. Mm-hmm. Because it's pretty, it's pretty easy for you to get, like, a big head. Mm-hmm. about a lot of stuff but i kind of like that i had a really high point in my career like astronomically high uh and then it'll check like now you're a regular person again and guess what you're overqualified for every job that you could possibly apply for so like it was really difficult after that uh but i eventually got into got into teaching and, and then we did geronimo in 2003 But I had like a good year and a half of just like, you know, Mm -hmm. grounding to the earth, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and that was really good because it was like, this is how quickly things can go. This is this is how awesome everything can be. And this is how quickly how quickly it can all be gone. Mm -hmm. So never take anything for granted and work your butt off all the time. So that was the lesson that I learned which is a very good lesson to learn and uh, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, I've stayed such a hard worker through all these different scenarios and and different times and because I, I, I understand it you know I don't, I don't I I know that how ephemeral everything is so you better you want to do something you better do it you know you or, better not wait
0: Yeah maybe not working rather than learning, right? Because we just work. It, it has to be somehow, I don't know, reasonable, right? Oh, yeah. It's got to be both, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's got to be both. Like, if if I were to give some career advice to people, I would say that one of the things that I did very early um, was, you know, I would take a job either for experience or money, mm-hmm. but not not try to, to do both. And so, you know, uh, as people might have heard in the previous podcast, if you listen to it, you know, my first job's my first job i took only for experience and i literally told them point blank i don't care what you pay me mm-hmm. i just want to learn give me all the right opportunities and then i doubled my salary and i then i left and went and took a job for for you know for money yeah mm-hmm. so so you know that that was the thing and then i switched again to taking a job for experience and yeah, but- i alternated back and forth you know experience to to cash a, a few times and and uh, you know it works up really well if you do it like that
0: yeah but if you doubled, you know your salary and get another job i guess you also learn something because they it it required more knowledge so as yes say, exactly know, yeah exactly, exactly. I mean, yeah um okay so with the 2003 and open egb so what happened then i mean you just keep, kept working on an open source EGB, open egb or stopped working or what was what, what happened between 2001 well, and 2003
1: well, so basically, um, I kept working on it. Yeah. Um, I I forked the project over to SourceForge from mm-hmm. Intalio because uh, th- there was no funding for them to work on for it to be worked on, and so I worked on it on my own dime uh, from 2000, at, like middle 2001, well onward, really. Uh, and so I started working on it on my own dime and blew through my savings in like a year or so. And then started doing teaching on the side. So uh, I started doing training, you know, like EJB training and that kind of things like that. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was really interesting because, like, one of the first classes that I did was uh, was an EJB course, and I had my I had my teacher, you know, my first Java teacher, Gary Kagel gave me a week long training as my, you know, at the beginning of my Java career, Mm -hmm. you know, that was in 1998 and, or 97. And, you know, five years or so later, his student is teaching him uh, in in, in EJB course, you know, and Mm -hmm. he was so, and it was such a, it was such a great experience for us both. He was so like happy that he taught somebody who went, who was who reached that level and and uh and i was so honored to have the opportunity to teach him Mm -hmm. and uh it was so cool uh so i I was actually working for two different uh training companies in the minneapolis area and uh eventually one of them was like how can we get you to be working with us exclusively Mm -hmm. and and uh so i they put me on retainer and so i worked there with them and worked on opening jb on the side uh and at that time, uh, Dane Sundstrom, who, who had written the CMP en- engine for EJBoss, now at that time was finally JBoss. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in Minneapolis, and he had been coming to the local Twin Cities Java user groups to try and recruit me to work on JBoss. Like every time I created an event, he would show up, and he was recruiting me to work on JBoss. So it was, it was, it was like super annoying, because I was there trying to recruit people to work on Open EJB. And he was there trying to recruit me to work on J-Boss. and it was just, uh, it was just like, oh, there's that guy again.
0: Why you didn't uh, say the yes to J-Boss?
1: Oh, you know, like they were at the time very aggressive, yeah, people. Okay, and that is not my okay, that is not my personality. They would yeah. do astroturfing. Mark Fleury was reading the art of war and trying to use it on his competitors. I mean, you know, it was like real hostile stuff. Okay, and uh, and and you know, sending Dane to recruit me—that mm-hmm. uh, aggressively, like that, you know, was was. Mark spent
0: some time at the um, at the military, actually. So yeah, um... yeah, it's you know,
1: so this just like super, 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 super I, aggressive.
0: I, I interviewed Mark. You have to listen to the to the podcast. Actually. Yeah, it's really interesting. So um... yeah
1: interesting guy. I mean like, you know,
0: but super interesting. You have to do this. Yeah. So um,
1: Oh yeah, no. I I'm, I'm I'm quite aware of a lot of that history. Like for example, here's a story for your side of the podcast. Like at a certain point when Richard and I were working on OpenEGB, Richard Musenhagel, we had this whole, you know, kind of like concept of uh containers that were abstracted out and could be swapped out. So there were, like we, we we treated the CMP engine as a container and the BMP engine as a container, stateless uh, engine as a container, and we wrapped them all together, and we had an architecture. When we labeled it, and this whole architecture could be embedded, so it was like uh-huh. all very clean API. Because so we're expecting people to put this stuff in there and their app servers, so they needed it uh-huh. needed to be clear and understandable, right? And so, at one point, Rickard Oberg, who was Mark Fleury's right hand man at the time, uh-huh. he says to us, "Hey, you know, Richard, David, uh, I'm leaving EJ Boss. I'm, I've had it." Mm -hmm. I'm fed up to hear. I want to join your team. So for two weeks, we're onboarding Rickard Oberg, and we're teaching him all the stuff and all the architecture and how everything works. And then he leaves, goes back to EJ boss, and then they announce on the server side their new architecture. Okay. That's the kind of crap that was going on at the time. So why didn't I go work for them? Because we were like mortal enemies. Okay. <laughs>
2: okay. Interesting you know, stuff, you
1: know? Yeah. yeah it, you know, uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with that kind of uh, yeah. way of business. You know what I mean? Okay. So, so that's that's the kind of crazy stuff that would happen back then. You know, like people, uh, it, yeah, like I say, it was really cutthroat. Uh, okay. Really, really aggressive. So much so that, like, later, you know, uh, as I was building Tommy and stuff like that, uh, I developed a relationship with, you know, the newer generation of J boss people who are all really awesome. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I made a point to reach all of branches out to them and, and create uh, good relationships with all the, all the other people, because I did not want us to go back to the days where we were, where people were literally lying, cheating and stealing as much as they possibly could to, to get ahead that, Mm -hmm. you know, That's yeah right. So anyway, so Dane left JBoss, and I see him one day, and I'm expecting to get the JBoss sales pitch. Mm -hmm. Instead, I get a Geronimo sales pitch. Okay, and I'm like, "What is this network? What's it? Well, we want to create a new app server. A bunch of us got mad with JBoss. Five of them left JBoss. Okay, Dane Sundstrom." Hiram Torino, David Jenks, Jeremy Boynes. They were all on the JBoss team and they left. It. We're sick of it. We're done. Okay. We're going to make a new app server. Do you want to come on board and do the EJB container of the app server? And uh, I was like, well, that's a no brainer. I, I don't want to compete with this thing. I'm going to join. <laughs> you know? Which year Let's. was it? What year? That, was, that was 2003. Okay. And so uh, that's how Geronimo was created. Okay. So we all created Geronimo, and we continued to recruit uh, many people. So what was the we, business model,
0: or who who sponsored the entire thing?
1: We paid for it ourselves.
0: Okay, but what was the idea? I
1: mean, well, we we're gonna make a competitor to a good competitor to JBoss and take their lunch. Okay, you know, with support yeah. and license. Or yeah, well, sure, just you know, for... We'll see what happens. I mean, like okay. at the time, okay. at that there was no like business people involved. It was okay. like all coders, all <laughs> coders. Course. You of know, was, uh-huh. you know. So there was no, there's no business plan at all. It's just like we'll build the software and we'll figure out what happens after that. Uh-huh. And so uh, we got together. Uh, it was it was the five of us. We got uh, James Stracken uh, involved. Uh, Greg and Jan from Jetty. Uh, we got MX for J. Uh, which was like Simone Bordeaux and uh Bordeaux and uh and uh you know so lots of really good people uh to to, to build Geronimo and we announced it and we had two thousand people on our mailing list the first week because we announced it on the server side which is which is like the center of the Java community at that time.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh we had two thousand over two thousand people on our mailing list in the first week and we we hadn't written a lick of code. We just announced our intentions. Okay. And uh, that was probably the like, the most foolish thing that we ever did. Because then we just fought like crazy about who was going, whose architecture and whose ideas were going to win. Because mm-hmm. we had assembled the, all these people who were luminaries in the open source community at the time. Because all their components would fit together to make one big awesome Voltron. But mm-hmm. we hadn't built the Voltron, and we announced the Voltron, and the whole mm-hmm. world wanted the Voltron now, mm-hmm. and uh, and so yeah, it was like it was just a continuous fighting on on Geronimo. It was just it was just like, uh, you know, uh, it didn't take much for for JBoss to beat us because we were beating we were competing with each other, okay, you know, and uh, so we built, you know, Geronimo did get built, but it was super 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 over engineered, yeah. And uh, it was really, really over-engineered. And I, I was on the losing battle a lot of a lot of these uh, fights. Like At the time, I was still into the whole embeddable, hey, man, if your stuff doesn't work in Java SE, it's too it's too complicated. But, but the, the majority of the of people were like, traditional app server is the best. Mm-hmm. Boot it up, shove 50 apps in there. It's going to be awesome. And I was like, mm-hmm. hey, man, what about one app? In a Java SE environment and it's in, 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 and guess what the app server is like invisible. Mm-hmm. you're like well, that's crazy talk
0: um what I remember is at uh, the beginning it was around two thousand I was, spent a lot of time in enterprise projects in Germany, insurance companies, stuff like that, and what happened is that the companies usually bought you know the sun E K these like servers that cost 1 million. and they had usually two or more of them because of clustering. And then they always bought an application server and put as many applications as they could, you know, to save money.
2: Yeah. So the original idea, so the original idea of
0: the all application services was mainly WebSphere. Interestingly, back then, yeah. was to put as many applications as possible on the application server, and the startup time and everything else was not an issue because uh, the idea was all the departments will share cost about the you know for the very expensive hardware. And yep. uh, and later didn't make any sense. Uh, I would say five years later, two thousand five, two thousand six, didn't make any uh, sense anymore. Didn't make sense anymore. So I, well, I was less making, sense, less sense, less sense. So so I, I stopped doing the shared deployment. But the, the the all the architects and enterprise people they actually forgot the origin idea why we did it, and yep. they still still kept you know years just have shared deployments to save you know the hardware costs, uh, to save hardware costs. Like why are you doing this? I mean, this is like super very cheap,
1: it's completely yeah. unnecessary. I mean, basically. For, you know, for people who don't have a mental frame of reference, you know, there was no Docker, there was no Kubernetes, there was no containerization, there was no easy way to take a big fat machine mm-hmm. and split it up into smaller machines. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really anything easy to do that, mm-hmm. and uh, so the app server did that for you, okay. and so it had a, so many responsibilities. And mm-hmm.
0: um, this is why yeah. you probably were not very you were. Not very successful with your approach, because you know the it one, was a bad one, time, yeah bad time you were you you were too early, yeah,
1: uh Dane's got a great a great quote, which I like, which is a good idea at the wrong time is tantamount to a bad idea, yeah, exactly. and it's so true, it's so true. I'm the king of having the right idea the wrong time, yeah, uh, this, but uh
0: yeah, it's, yeah, I think so yeah, <laughs> yeah and. What did it do with Jerome? What happened then? So it worked, kind of. I did like Jerome, I have to say, I, I tried several did? times. or didn't? I, I, no, didn't. I never liked because it because I remember the pedantic. UI. The UI was complicated somehow, and even JDBC driver was hard. You know, there was too modular. I, 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 oh, it expensive. was so
1: modular. Like it, it, there was so much ceremony. Everything was a module, and you yeah. had to learn the module system. And it's like I was like, hey, man. Let's, let's try to make people's you know database connections for them or okay. make their JMS topics for them or make their JMS queues for them. If, if, if their app says they need one, let's just make one with that name by default. And if they want uh-huh. something different, they can take some action. Uh-huh. So I was very much like, get the thing to run using as many defaults as you can and make it possible for people to change the defaults. 20, so way, the convention if, of
0: a configuration before exactly, right
1: yeah, and I was on the losing battle of that, and what we ended up implementing was everybody has to explicitly state everything all the time in configuration for anything to work, and then let's do that on steroids, and and so you had to have XML files that described everything because no defaults could occur. So you were Mm -hmm. constantly copying and pasting the same name into the same from this field to that field. And so you have, you know, because nothing would just line up. You had to do it all. Mm -hmm. Then this is, get this, we would read those XML files in as a module. We would then serialize all those objects to disk so that the startup would be fast. Mm -hmm. So we didn't look at those XML files again after the first time you gave them to us. Mm -hmm. We serialized your configuration down to disk, and so. What well, so, corpus is doing,
0: right? They are reading XML and generating on the fly bytecode, almost right. So this was like the modern version. It's it's
1: worse. It's worse because, at least, but it it is a lot like that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Principal. It's it's in principle we we were, it's very very similar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's worse because it's like the the bytecode is one thing to generate. You can reload the bytecode with different values quite easily. Mm-hmm. But serialized data, you're serializing the bytecode structure. You're, you're serializing your knowledge of the bytecode structure yeah. in the form of data of memory. So we're taking a snapshot of memory. Yeah, and but writing the, that to disk.
0: But as you remember, this was actually the approach of EGP one right? So there, or there was no XML descriptor. They were serialized. Descriptors, you remember that? You uh, to... That
1: that it's... I fortunately dodged EJB 1.0 and d- okay. got in at 1.1. So,
0: yeah, there was... uh, then we, have, we are a little. So, I have to say, I was a little bit afraid of the serialization. But what I remember at Java 1 2000 or 2000 actually, the O'Reilly book, Java and XML, came out.
1: Yeah. And... It was written by, by uh, Brett McLaughlin.
0: Exactly. And if I saw that, it's like now it's over. And we weren't back, and the first what happened was uh in an insurance company, people tried to, developers tried to store XML in a database with metadata, everything in a table and of of course it didn't work at all it just everything became bloated, and XML was everywhere, so in Germany it went crazy you know uh, around XML, and we had yeah. to write a lot of XML code and um which was unfortunate i I would say it stopped with rails in two thousand and six with convention of a configuration. So there was at least the idea out there that you can do something without configuration. And back to your problems with the convention of a configuration, the argumentation or discussion was, if we do convention of a configuration, no one knows the defaults. So it's a lot safer to configure everything, you know, then you know what you have. But if you just... If there is no uh, configuration, then the behavior is undefined. This was this was a no. The discussions I had, you know, to yeah. discuss it in, in every project. Why that why was the same
1: d- discussion we had in Geronimo. Yeah, okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I had, you know, one of the first things, like the first thing that I wrote in Open EJB was uh, an implementation of of Java serialization, so that we could try to create a protocol that serialized EJB calls faster than WebLogic's T three. Okay. And uh, we did get there. Uh, we 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 got something that was faster than Java serialization by about 20%. Okay. Um so I but, but but I was familiar with all the shortcomings of it. Okay. You know like if you rename a field you're screwed. Yeah. Okay. You know, suddenly you can't deserialize anymore because that field's gone and now yeah. you just error out. The whole yeah. payload is worthless. You know, so it, it, you know, so as configuration for an app server to run long term, I was like, this is a terrible idea, it is. because they're going to go upgrade their app server and they won't be able to deserialize the previous configurations. Yeah. So if they, if if you apply a security patch, you you upgrade from version, you know, one point one point one point one to one point one point point two, it might not work, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, I still recall having lots of arguments with with. Uh, you know, one of the guys in the project who I won't name, you know, who just like, you know, you're an idiot," he said to me. "You don't know what you're talking about." It's like, I do. I wrote, I wrote object serialization. You know, like I literally wrote my own implementation. I know it. You know, I can know how easily it can be broken. And uh, that's what that's what Geronimo implemented. You know. Okay. Uh, anyway, so well, everybody, the business model question we ended up joining a company called glue code. So the five of us who kind of were the, were the core people, uh, myself, David Jenks, Jeremy Boynes, uh, Dane Sundstrom, I guess it was four of us. Uh, we joined, uh, glue code, uh, this company out in Los Angeles. And that's what got me out to Los Angeles where I'm still living. And, uh, and so, uh, the guy who started the company, Winston, he, he was a VC for Intel at one point. Okay. And, uh, he left so he knew how to get capital so he would gotten investment for his company GluCode, uh, but he didn't really have a what a, something to do with it he didn't have a a, a product uh, yeah. really and so he saw all the activity around geronimo and all the hype and he's like hey do you guys want to come join glue Code? i'll give you a bunch of stock give you a bunch of the company and then it will be the geronimo company so we did that, and uh, not even a year later, we sold to IBM. And so okay. then we all worked at IBM, and Toronto became something that IBM uh, was funding. And I, was, I stayed there for about seven years.
0: Was it good Good that it was sold, or, or was it the idea, the hidden idea of the manager from Intel, or was it...
1: Was he, it he, had pre- he had previously worked at Intel. He wasn't at Intel at the time. You know?
0: No, no, um, but was it your, your hidden plan you know, to, to, to sell you to IBM again?
1: Uh well, we had actually gotten two offers so we first offer we got was from computer associates
0: okay so so
1: c a so they were the first people to put offer on us mm-hmm. um We turned it down mm-hmm. uh and uh the investors didn't like that, so they replaced winston as the c e o and they put in chet Kapoor and uh so under chet when i b m came and gave us an offer, we sold. Mm-hmm. And Chet went on to to create Apogee. Oh, okay. So, uh, and then Winston went on to create, uh, you know, three more open source companies because, you know, we all knew the open source people at Apache, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we we tapped our friends on their shoulders and said, "Hey, man, do you want a company?" Because, like, mm-hmm. this our friend Winston, he's he's making companies for open source. So, <laughs> huh. so after after Geronimo and Glucode, uh Winston and we we hooked up, we hooked Winston up with uh Hiram Torino and James Strachan and Rob Davies, who made Logic Blaze, which is the active MQ company. Mm-hmm. Uh then we hooked up uh them him up with Jason Van Ziel, uh and Brett Fox or excuse me, uh, uh Brett Porter. Bad 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 mistake on my part. Uh uh Brett Porter and Jason Ziel. So Jason Ziel is a creator from Maven. Mm-hmm. And so that was Mergeer. Uh And then there was a third company, uh, which was Alan Cabrera and Simone Baudet, who was, uh, you know, like they never really got too, too, too far. Uh, so those were the three companies after us. They didn't do nearly as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult to make an open source company. Yeah. Really, really difficult. So they did do Quiller nearly as well. So the ActiveMQ guys, they they sold Logic Blaze to Progress Software. Uh, Progress Software spun them out as Fuse Source. Then Fuse Source was, was purchased by Red Hat. So that's where most of those people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Rob Davies and, and uh, James they eventually left to CloudBees at, at, after a certain point. Um, and then Jason Van Ziel ended up leaving Mergeer. Uh, to create a a different Maven company because he just didn't like how things were running. Uh So he left his Maven company to create, he left the company, you know, Winston had created for him to create his own Maven company. And that was Sonatype. Uh So Jason created Sonatype and, uh, and then that's when uh, uh, Brian Fox got involved, uh, who is now CTO of Sonatype. So, uh, you know, and at one point los angeles was the center of all this activity okay and so and so i remember like there was like one time we were having like a dinner with all of the, these companies together cuz we were all friends this is mm-hmm. this is why we hooked them up so we're having this huge dinner and we're like looking around the table going you know if a if a bomb hits this building right now <laughs> there's a lot of projects that are going to die <laughs>
0: but but everyone was involved in 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 uh, geronimo in one point of time right well, it it you know, indirectly,
1: right? Yeah. Um, you know, indirectly. So, like, when Geronimo was coming off, we were funded. We had Glucode going on. Uh, at that same time, you know, Winston had already been removed as the CEO of Glucode and was working on his next companies. So, we had Jason Van Ziel in uh-huh. Los Angeles on a regular basis. And so, he was working on Maven 2 because uh-huh. Maven 1 was what we were currently using in Geronimo. And so, he's yeah. working on Maven 2. And so we, we basically fed him like all of our requirements for what would be the most ideal build system. You know, like so. Do you remember so Jelly? I, uh, unfortunately, I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 this was a programming language. I actually. You have to you know, submit somewhere a conference talk about the new programming language in XML on YAML, something like gemel you know? With YAML. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: In fact, uh, Gear Magnuson was one of the people who worked on that. And I, and I forgot to mention him, but he was one of the people in, in Glue Code that was on the original Dronomo team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But uh, yeah, so we've we fed Jason like lots of requirements for, uh, for Maven 2. And in fact, he did the first. Uh, like you know one of the first pro- like rollouts of maven 2 was in o- openejb mm-hmm. um and so he basically he and brett porter basically rewrote our whole build system okay. uh and a lot of the stuff that they did in OpenAJB got pulled into what became the apache parent palm. Mm-hmm. so you know how like one project uh, is typically the project that eventually gets abstracted out, and everyone then becomes that's the parent palm, and <laughs> everyone's using that one. That okay. came from OpenEJB. okay. Uh, and Jason Van Zeele who did that, so he was a mentor on on Open EJB when we when we joined Apache. So we were, we were at Codehouse, so we switched from Codehouse to Apache. When we did that, he became one of the champions on the project because you need to have three of them to join the Apache incubator. Okay. And he was one of the three. Brett was another one, and Henry Andel was the third. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so Jason and Brett, you know, basically did all of the release, they created the release plugin uh, mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so like, all, all, you know, so we were the first guinea pigs, but that's because we saw each other all the time. Yeah. So it was a really ideal situation.
0: When IBM bought Geronimo, you remember that? Which year?
1: That was uh, May 5th, 2005. 2005, okay. Yeah, Five five five. Yeah, okay. That was we had we had shirts printed, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was
0: do you do you have still the shirt
1: uh, somewhere?
0: Okay, somewhere in
1: a box, uh,
0: yeah. you know, somewhere. And so yeah, you you stayed with IBM seven years for seven years, two thousand thirteen. You said
1: until two thousand and twelve.
0: Twelve. Okay. Yeah. And you kept yep. working Geronimo all the time.
1: Well, I worked on Geronimo uh, for for all of that seven years except for like the last year I worked on Open Liberty, but, uh, or uh, excuse me, Liberty. It wasn't called Open Liberty at yeah. the time. It, was, it wasn't open source. Um, it was only, it was only like a team of like 12 people uh, mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, but yeah, it was, I stayed there because it kept me very close to Open EJB because Open EJB was used in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on Open EJB since I was married, you know, mm-hmm. and I had, and an, I would call it irrational attachment to seeing it succeed mm-hmm. and you know the project had been big and then and then died off uh and then i wanted to i wanted to have i wanted for it to have its glory day mm-hmm. and so uh dane eventually left ibm and we worked on what became open ejb3 and we restored all of the the glory of it with being in an, an embeddable ejb container uh-huh. And I think that's about the time that I met you uh, is in the open EJB three days when, you know, I was talking about, hey, you can you can take something that looks kind of like an app server and embed it in your in your in your JVM And it does work. Uh-huh. And we're talking about embeddable EJB containers. Uh, Areza, Ramon and I did a did a uh, Java one talk on that on that concept. And uh, and yeah, so we're, so. We started to get that going, and I knew that I want. We ha- we had something that was basically like a Tomcat integration. Mm-hmm. You know, if we're going to put if we're going to put EJB containers into app servers, why not use why not have a default integration with Tomcat? Mm-hmm. Because you know why not? It's the most popular thing.
0: To ask one question: Why IBM yeah. bought Geronimo?
1: Yeah, well that's an important. So basically, JBoss was running amok of the industry at that time and taking yeah. everyone's lunch eating everybody's lunch, you know, Mm -hmm. so uh, people were leaving WebSphere and WebLogic for JBoss on the regular, and IBM wanted to have an answer for that, Mm -hmm. right? So if they're going to lose the technical role from WebSphere, let's try to get those people to leave, to go somewhere else still inside IBM. Okay. Right. So they basically bought Geronimo to be uh, the thing that when people are fed up with WebSphere and they're leaving and they're waving on their they're waving on the way out the door. They would the sales team would grab them by the back of the neck and go, hold on, we got this other thing and try to pull them back into the room, sit them down and give them the Geronimo sales pitch. Mm hmm. And uh, so it didn't sell a lot because it was only a last resort sale. And so, therefore, it was, you know, slowly, slowly kind of got cannibalized uh, over, the, over a period of time and, and inside IBM. And we had a very large team at the beginning and then a very small team at the end of that seven years. And eventually, it got pulled into liberty and dissolved completely.
0: Yeah. This is why I actually tried uh, the Jeronimo multiple times because I always wanted to be neutral. And I use Whitefly and Jabos a lot. And uh, GlassFish was already around. I think GlassFish yeah, one. Yeah, it was like two thousand six. Yeah, uh, GlassFish, Whitefly. I didn't like GlassFish. GlassFish one, I ignored it a little bit. I did uh, Whitefly and uh, WebLogic. It was like two thousand seven. Yeah, Web, WebLogic a lot actually. I liked WebLogic. This was a great application. Me too. So, the, the version eight was great, and then it just went downhill mm-hmm. from from there. So I lots of project was WebLogic. And WebSphere, never too much, just task forces. I never created a greenfield project with uh, WebSphere. And um, and then there was uh, Geronimo, and I was really curious because I knew you could buy support from IBM for Geronimo. And I was a yep. consultant, so I can say, okay, if you are an IBM shop, there's also Geronimo, so you can buy it. But I didn't like it. So usually I can um, yeah. explain my clients why to take, why to use... Uh, Web logic or JBoss, there was always a story behind or a killer use case, but there was nothing in mode. It was just complicated. I didn't like. Yeah. It. So this is have... why I, But I really tried hard because. I said, oh, I, oh, I appreciate it, but but <laughs> I,
1: I you know I I also didn't like it. You know what yeah. I mean? So, uh, you know, we had a real opportunity, but we we just didn't. We wasted it. You know, what I mean, with the wrong developing the wrong
0: thing. And what I found right now um, on my blog, the first post was from 2009. And earlier I already used open EGB and I use open EGB for testing. Yeah. Because you could um, right now I see the source code new initial context, context lookup, hello, be local, and you had it. So it was like three lines of code. Yeah. And you can just put the EGB. And it was very fast. And back then, uh, already the people were saying, you know, application servers were slow. And I Absolutely. say this is not true because I, I mean it, it boots very fast. I mean, we have a web sale, okay, but I mean website was strange, what I remember in a project. I was hired to, to do the new architecture, and this was like Java E5 or 6, and I really wanted to do the new architecture, so I needed the new EGP container, and there was like a service pack for EGP, for uh, the WebSphere, and I said, not a problem, we can download that, and uh, the service pack was wide, like one and a half gigabytes. so for now it's not, not much, but back That's then, same. one and a half gigabyte, I said, this is impossible, because I knew that the same thing in GlassFish, like 700k, so the entire EGB container in GlassFish was 680 kilobytes. And I have no idea what is inside, just until now. I, it's, for me, it's not, this not, is impossible to imagine, you know, one and a half gigabyte of bytecode for an EGB patch, impossible. There are 600 people working on a web server. Yeah. So, this, this you know, that's crazy. why there's a
1: lot of code, right?
0: Yeah. And um. so, and then we met. And I was never with your, I was never, I never understood your idea of deep pluggability because I was from, you know, complete different directions. So I was from um, application developer or consultant and you were a container provider and we met several times at Java 1. I remember it was Dan Allen. This was, you know, yep. this is like late party. So uh, yeah. this was uh, after, after I was probably, you know, 12 at night. 2000, had,
1: yeah. 2011, you mean? No, no, it would have been uh, like
0: nine or ten. Yeah, this is, and I, I think it's like, why you are not creating an application server? Because, I mean, the OpenAGB is there, it's very fast, and you, and your answer was, you can do it. Just pick the pieces and you have it. It's like, yeah, but this isn't how it works. People would like to have a logo or would have to something. And yeah. exactly remember. And what, after the conversation with you, I don't understand this because you, you are not, you you come from business, right? and And you are very skilled, obviously, with, You know, design and, you know, art. And uh, right now, you could just do it, you know, great website, which looks great. And it's already half done, I would say, right? It's something looks good and feels good. And we had the conversation, and you were absolutely not understanding what I'm saying. It's like, you have to do this. No one will, you know, create their own application service. And and by the way, it was also against my belief. I, until now, I don't like to create unique snowflakes for my clients. What What I really like, you know, create exactly the same boring stuff for every client. So if they have a problem for the boring stuff, they can go to Stack Overflow and get the answers. And if they, they have uh, no, more severe problems, they can ask me, but they don't have to no, know to ask me if there is a class loading problem with uh, two pieces which don't fit together, right? And uh, I tried to convince you, and that uh, was also- You convinced
1: there. me eventually. <laughs> okay. You just didn't know it. <laughs>
0: okay, so, this, this, yeah.
1: So that, those conversations were like in the 2009 uh, range. Um okay. and you know and it's Dan Allen and those guys I knew them because uh we kind of you know we had we had sort of a a good relationship going on over twitter uh mm-hmm. in 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 that time, and they were working on on mm-hmm. and they tried you know it's not a well known fact, but like the first say like six months that they were demoing Archelian. Anytime there was EJB stuff involved, they were not showing JBoss. Mm-hmm. They were showing Open EJB. Okay. So that's why Archelon looked. Oh, you, they, they 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 can test with Archelon and an e, you know EJB app in like one second or a second, a half a second. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was Open EJB under there. Okay. That's what they were testing. Then that team started working on Wildfly, which which basic, which was they started working on JBoss Seven uh which is a complete rewrite and or a rewrite of some magnitude i don't know how much but uh and then that's how they got their second startup and then after 6 months when when jboss 7 was finally finished then they switched over from open ejb to showing uh jboss 7 which be- became Wildfly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh anyway so uh yeah but the you you did convince me because so there was I continued like that until 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, after Java 1, 2000, at, at Java 1, 2010, uh, Linda De Michele, De Michele, uh, she recruit, tried to recruit me to be the EJB spec lead because Ken Sachs had left mm-hmm. Oracle after the sale uh, of, of Sun to Oracle. So he I left. forgot
0: Ken. He was a really nice guy.
1: Yeah, so so Ken Sachs and I did a lot of work on EJB three point one. It was basically the two of us that did 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 a significant amount of work on that. Um, Singleton's uh, the 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 schedule API with the at schedule annotation. Uh, the you know uh, the 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 transaction excuse me the the thread locking with lock read lock write uh, all, all that stuff uh, and the you know the embeddable EJP container, obviously. Uh, you know, so all that stuff was stuff Ken and I worked on together. So he was always talking about me and then he left and I was in a boff, uh, on the panel of the EJB expert group and people were asking questions, you know, and I, and I had great answers and Linda, she was like, wow, that was so fantastic. Let's get you to be the EJB spec leads because she didn't want to be the spec lead. You know, she had JPA." Uh, that she was working on, she preferred to, to do that. She didn't want to be running EJB anymore, and so you know, I said uh, no. And then I, the next day, I said yes, because I thought, well, this is an opportunity I really can't pass up. Mm-hmm. And then I said no again, and because uh, the, the the bittersweet thing, I would I would had to have stopped working on Open EJB, and I would had to have actually competed against it. You know, so all the people that I recruited to work on the project would have to watch me leave the project and then compete against them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just couldn't bring myself to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, because I literally recruited these people and I told them, you can achieve amazing things if we work together. And then I'm going to go leave. Mm -hmm. And then like, suck it. Mm -hmm. You know, strongest wins. You You know, that's that I couldn't do that. So I I turned that job down, um. But it really lit a fire under me. Like if I'm gonna turn jobs like that down, I gotta like kick it into overdrive. Mm-hmm. I gotta really like, you know, make this. I I gotta play all the cards that have been holding. Mm-hmm. So that was when we decided to make Tommy. Mm-hmm. So basically, right after that, October 2010, job one, um, we got into making tommy and uh uh we we we, we named it first a, t- a terrible name but then we convention um, eventually... um. yeah you remember <laughs> we, we we first gave it a really bad name uh and then we came up with tommy as our second choice and yeah. uh and then uh we started working on it and we weren't and learning from the geronimo lesson we weren't loud about it we didn't uh, we didn't we didn't talk about it too much We wanted to wait till it was finished and then pull the lid off and go, Mm ta-da, which we did do. So that whole year of 2011, we were just working like crazy Mm -hmm. on Tommy. And I was still at IBM at the time. And basically, I I, I had to get permission, like three managers up the chain Mm -hmm. to do this. So I was like, you know, I'm going to either leave to work Mm -hmm. on it or I'm going to stay to work on it with your permission but I'm going to be loud about it. So you can't tell me to stop because, you know, you can't tell me to do it quietly because eventually we're going to be very loud about this. So mm-hmm. you got to be okay with that. And I, they were, mm-hmm. um, and I got that permission. And, uh, and so, yeah, I worked on, I had to work on it all in my spare time, but, uh, but yeah, I got, I got it. So I did, uh, myself and, you know, a handful of people, uh, Jonathan Gallimore, Jean-Louis Montero, Romain Uh We would always be getting together uh, at conferences or just making our own event to get together. And, we, you know, one in 2011, we, we spent one week working in Tour France uh, on Tommy. And that was the first time many of us had met in person. Okay. You know, and like the first time we met in person... We were taking a week of vacation to get together and flying to France to to work on. Tommy had never having never met in person before. I met Jonathan Gallimore, uh, you know, a few months before because I was in Italy for my tenth wedding anniversary. What was the impression
0: uh, of the guys you met? You know, your co workers the very first time. So, what was the impression? So, this is always always funny, you know. I mean, we had an amazing time. Okay. I mean, like that
1: week is still like one of the most cherished memories that we all have still to this day right because it's really special when a bunch of people who have never met want to do something so badly that they're willing to to use their vacation time to do it Mm -hmm. and pay money to like like you know someone who's a software developer by day dreaming of being a software developer on vacation yeah that's (laughs) such a weird thing right yeah so, so you know, we got together, and uh, I had written this uh, test harness uh, mm-hmm. called GBuild, and we used it in Geronimo a, a, a brief period of time in the early days. But I re-adjusted it off, and I repurposed it for Amazon uh, AWS. And so that week, uh, we were we were doing two TCK runs a day, entire TCK runs a day, okay. because I was basically launching off like a hundred instances in, in AWS and we would just chew through the TCK so we would get together and we would code for the morning we would run the TCK at lunch and we would be refreshing the screen while we're eating and just like oh, yeah our test test you know like this this test I was working on is good you know and then we would code the whole afternoon and then we would kick off a TCK run at five or something and go have beers and be looking at our phones Watching the the numbers roll in while we're having beers in in downtown Tour de France.
0: I assume in J build there was some shell co-generation involved, right? Uh,
1: n- not in that one. I, that one okay. I had to. <laughs> that one was like I had to meticulously write uh by hand because it was just like, you know, this not as yeah. It was G build, yeah, but it uh, was it was originally called G build for Geronimo build, but uh, uh G build.
0: I thought J build, so G build. Okay.
1: Yeah, but uh, anyway. We still use it, but it's all closed source now. So, uh, okay. So yeah. So yeah, it was a good time. We got from forty percent TCK compliant to eighty percent TCK compliant by the end of that week. Okay. And, then, uh, and
0: how successful was Tommy? Was it like commercial success from the beginning, or I mean, was it? Does did it met your expectation, or what? What's the story? Behind?
1: Well, I mean, technical technically, great success. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, huge success, technically. People were using it at scale and still do. And obviously, it's a lot of places. Um, And so, you know, technically, it was a great success. But people were so used to open source software being developed by companies and being able to just take it for granted. Mm -hmm. uh, That when something came into their lives that was developed by people in their spare time, they really didn't understand that I need to help these people. So nobody helped us, okay. period. Um, you know, so it, it, I wouldn't say nobody. We, we, we did, you know, uh, we did get some traction early on. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that, that uh, uh, but not at the scale we needed. So we were we ultimately, when we launched off Tommy Tribe, we were a consulting company for the first several years. Mm-hmm. And uh, which didn't give us a lot of time to work on. Tommy itself because we're developing software for other people. You know, can you imagine in your busy day job and then developing an open source app server in spare time? That's really difficult.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. Uh so yeah. So, you know, if if people had gotten wiser sooner, you know, we we're now we're we're great. Like Tommy Tribe as a company, we're fantastic. We we do we don't do any consulting. Okay. Uh, we are we're all support-based. Mm-hmm you know so we you know around uh I want to say 2017 we slowly tapered off and switched switched over and uh we did some consulting a bit but the last like 5 years or less like less like I want to say 4 years just 100% support and okay. uh so for, that's what which al- products
0: for what support so which products are supported by a
1: uh well Tommy of course yeah uh Tomcat by naturally, uh, for 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 Tomcat, it's a lot. Of, a lot of what people need is CVE patching, you know, critical vulnerability patching, right? Uh, they're you know typically using some discontinued version of Tomcat because there are many, right? Uh, and then you know it's running in production, and then no one's patching it, so they they need that kind of stuff from us. Uh, and ActiveMQ, we get a lot of ActiveMQ business uh, these days. Okay, um, I I, I want to say like fifty percent. Of of what comes our way these days is is ActiveMQ business. We just okay. don't, we just we don't have any problems landing that business. The majority of the people who ask end up buying, um, and because uh, ActiveMQ is it just gets it 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 runs perfectly fine, and then it just gets stuck.
0: Yeah, ActiveMQ is even um, it is managed ActiveMQ on AWS, right? So you can even
1: yeah, Amazon uh, has has uh, Amazon MQ, yeah.
0: um,
1: and so yeah, uh, you know uh so they're they're also you know the amazon's putting resources into active uh, we're putting you know we're doing our best and and working in active m q uh and the um uh, thing that i would want to do the most uh or that i want to do' or in' our planning to do the most is uh you know j m s or you know jakarta messaging got a lot of ideas on uh what would be really awesome features for jakarta messaging like uh Obviously, before we I, do this, because okay. there is
0: no time for that, and I would, I will have to reinvite you just to talk exclusively about microprofile in Jakarta E, if you like. So we have another, sure oh, not today. This late, Yeah, what yeah, yeah. Me about the Tommy. So what are you no know, hidden or killer features from Tommy? So um, obviously it is Jakarta E nine, right? It supports Jakarta E the, nine. The last one.
1: Yeah, we support nine one. Uh, so uh, it, it's still it's still you know. The one of the lightest app servers out there, uh, in terms of speed and memory footprint, uh, obviously. Time? Start Yeah, start startup time and all that stuff. So obviously, Quarkus is so, just not. Yeah. give me possible. some numbers.
0: Startup times. What is yeah, startup so time for empty one?
1: From an empty one, it's two seconds. Okay. So uh, you, I, I'm memory? actually I'm actually well. I'm actually disappointed in the two second number because it used to be lower, but we've had some. Uh, more scanning stuff, in, okay. uh, That you know, because of microprofile features that have been added, so mm-hmm. that needs to be retuned. So, as soon as I can get in there and retune it, it'll be back down to its regular s- super fast startup time. Uh, m- memory, I mean, like you can run the whole thing and and under the under the de- what used to be the default JVM settings, which was 64 megabytes. You could we used to pass the entire GCK with 64 megabytes of mm-hmm. memory, mm-hmm. so I mean, like. You know, they they didn't make an AWS image small enough for us to ever have a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and so its memory footprint is still very, 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 very small.
0: Actually, you could run the entire Tome AWS Lambda.
1: Likely. Yeah. It's a use case, actually. I, I mean, I should probably listen to you this time, right? Uh...
0: Yeah, this just just an idea. I don't know how how, <laughs> how, how successful it is. You know, from from. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the
1: business model for that would be, right? Uh, it's sort of like, but yeah,
0: we have to a business model. I mean, this is the direction the cloud is going, uh, and uh, I think there are. And you mentioned JMS, but this is dangerous to talk about that because it's two hours, and this was really interesting because uh, yeah, if you well, combine JMS so with Lambda and cloud events, this could be a really interesting stuff what we could actually yeah. do right now. But um. Now I would like to promote to Tommy a little bit because the Jakarta is somehow boring. So we, we I, I would expect it, it, it knows about Jakarta. In microprofet 4, I would suspect, right?
1: Uh, so we're, we're working our way. Out. So we just got certified. So Tommy lost, Apache in general, lost access to the TCK in 2013 before Java E7. Mm-hmm. So we did this big splash with Tommy and then immediately lost access to the TCK. It was super frustrating. And mm-hmm. really, really, really just uh, wanted to tear my hair out. So we worked so hard on it and lost access to the TCK. We stayed in the game. We kept working. We kept doing releases. We kept working mm-hmm. on it, but we couldn't run the TCK. Mm-hmm. So we eventually got access to the TCK. You know, in in December of 2019 is mm-hmm. when it when that E8 Jakarta mm-hmm. E8 TCK got uh, released. So we started. We got caught up on that. So uh, we got caught up on Jakarta E where 9.1 compliant, which is the, the Jakarta namespace version. Um and then now we're working on getting caught up on the micro profile side of this side of the thing. Okay. So right now we're at two, but we need to get all the way up to four. Four was just released. Okay. Or is being released at this moment.
0: And you are using your own microprofile implementation or small right?
1: Nope. We're using our own. So uh Tommy's really interesting in that regard. Uh if you look at what's inside the app servers that are out there, Jakarta has 16 certified app servers. Uh, Tommy is one of them. Mm-hmm. Fifteen of them use uh like this use weld mm-hmm. and Tommy uses open webbeans mm-hmm. right fifteen of them use uh the Eclipse JSON P and JSON B provider
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Tommy uses Apache Johnson.
0: It means that you can actually serialize Java records into JSON, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, like so. Yes, JSON P is is a is a object to to. No, no you know, I know.
0: No, it be, but the Johnson from Eclipse, I think the um, no, it's
1: Apache JSON.
0: Uh, sorry, Apache is able to uh, you know Java records from Java sixteen. Yeah,
1: yeah, it do, yeah. It does support it, that. Yeah, it it's, yes. it serializes
0: them one to one to JSON, which is uh, I mean way ahead. Yeah, JSON B. Yeah. So so
1: so to, to, to be honest, um. We have a lot of app servers, but under the covers of these app servers, 95% of them are using the same open source code. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, we have this ecosystem of creating standards so we can encourage multiple implementations, but we're not achieving it.
0: Yeah. M- maybe and, a little bit, right? They have their own micro profile implementation and they are still using well, but at least micro profile they implemented. That,
1: so. uh, well, in terms I, microprofile, I can't comment, but in terms mm-hmm. of the Jakarta stuff, it's all it's the same Glassfish components that all yeah, of the other yeah, 15 yeah. use, yeah,
0: right? Yeah. So but it's. You but know, I asked them about microprofile, and interestingly, they implemented microprofile from scratch, which surprised that's me. That's wonderful. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah, that's great. So why did it use them small, right? But they said, yeah, because we would like to have control of it, and this was nice.
1: And it's not a matter of control. I mean, that's a good reason, but it's. but but. We create standards so that we can have multiple implementations, exactly. so they can com- so they can compete on ideas, mm-hmm. right? You say you say Jakarta is boring, and that's because all fifteen of the sixteen are using the same component. So therefore, where are our ideas going to come from?
0: I would say Jakarta has to be boring because for me as application developer, what I expect one dependency, I focus on business logic, you know. Well it... that's that's great but
1: boring in the terms of stable but not boring in the terms of lacking in in new ideas. Um you know or, like or so the, like, the new ideas
0: have to be available across all implementations. That is right, boring. But, ag- boring
1: again. Sh- yeah, right, but 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 again, if we're achieving that by not having multiple implementations, then yeah. we're not competing on ideas. We're not competing on features. We're competing on branding and price. Yeah. Right. yeah, I'm with you
0: absolutely. And but so, uh, you, know, the, you know the 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 point. No kidding. In my projects, is oh, I, I, we just use it and don't think about it.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think we should use it, but I think we should think about it, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is that if Tom, first of all, Tommy is is has almost no code, has very, very little code in common with all the other app servers. Is like if if Tommy were to disappear.
0: We would lose
1: the majority of our diversity because the other fifteen share so much in common in terms of just not developing new implementations of any new specs, right?
0: So the top is the Firefox, right?
1: Pretty much, you yeah. know, like like we 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 try to select Apache implementations of all the stuff, and we make them wonder where they don't exist, you know. Yeah. And so it has an implementation of CDI bean validation JSON P JSON B and it's own implementations and all other 15 use the same yeah. implementation yeah. right and uh we use CXF and the only other server to use CXF is open liberty but they're switching away from CXF uh to rest easy to align up with jboss more mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. we'll be the only ones using CXF mm-hmm. um and uh you know so we invest a you know for our size like as we invest incredible amounts in actually creating implementations of these specifications so there is at least more than one implementation of every specification.
0: Yeah, And if, and if why, we
1: didn't do that, there wouldn't be.
0: Yeah, but why are we doing this? Just to you know, encourage the open source idea or you believe your implementation is better than the others, right?
1: Well, we believe our implementation is better, of course.
0: Yeah, okay, and,
1: yes. and because that's the point of the standard. Right. Yeah. It, if if a standard doesn't have multiple mutations, that might as well just be a project.
0: Yeah, you're right. No, you, you're you're right? absolutely right. Just well, to Linux, understand. Linux,
1: Linux doesn't isn't a, There's no standard for Linux. It's just an implementation. But if you because... would like
0: to try you now to sell Tommy and their company, you cannot argument. You know, I implemented everything to be different. You no, know, it's designing... better. Yeah, well, that, exactly. there's
1: there's a reason. There's a reason that we start up so fast, mm-hmm. and the other ones don't a yeah. startup as fast. There's a reason that we consume less memory, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we're able to achieve these things because we've chosen different ingredients mm-hmm. to make our server.
0: I've, I had a conversation with uh, Open Liberty as well, and they also uh, implement a lot of micro profile by themselves and don't use yeah. Small, right everywhere. And they say because it's too generic. So right comes in you know, with a generic API, and this is not always Suitable for them internally, so yeah. this also interesting you know
1: you can offer real value to people you know uh, by implementing the specifications and what and and making the integration between these sp- things mm-hmm. better right okay,
0: so what we learned, Tommy is small, it is a little bit different because this is a clean as a clean room implementation of these specs from from various Apache projects. It comes with Jakarta E and MicroProfile 3. something support, which is great because I mean, the Jakarta E is a little bit, I would say, the boring operating system, and MicroProfile is more like, you know, the cloud features like metrics yeah. and stuff, which is more um, still boring, but more more exciting because it changes more often because of CNCF. And then, what are the proprietary features? now? What is no, you say, okay, now forgot the standards. So, what do we get on top of that? Because there are a couple of interesting projects.
1: We we do have some interesting things. So like our our implementation of microprofile JWT is probably not the best implementation out there. Not even a. I mean, a, to put the humility aside. So we support the idea that uh, you can use Bean validation annotations to validate your JWT. Nice. Right. So a JWT is is a data object. Mm-hmm. Right. It's got a, it's a map of of, of names and values. And Bean Validation... <laughs>
0: I have to interrupt you Aaron, now. Go ahead. I was at Java 1, and I was in your talk yeah. about, maybe this, about about state, JSON Web Tokens, and uh, you started you know, explaining that uh, if with was JSON Web Token, you have the state, and you had some different idea how to do this.
1: It's a basically was... a signed cookie.
0: Yeah, exactly. And there was one guy um, beside me, and he touched my shoulder and, 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 and I had no idea who he is. And, and he, he looked at me and told me, I love this guy. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he, was, he was very excited about your talk, exactly about that. And this was a great, great session. This was also Java one. It was recent one. This was one of the last Java ones. And yeah. uh, it was funny and it was great. And um, yeah, go ahead. So.
1: Yeah, well, so a JSON Web token is a signed cookie. Yeah. To be fancy, it's a, it's a JSON, it's a map, of a yeah. JSON map. Yeah. It's, it's signed. So therefore yeah. we trust the data and we use public private keys. So that way uh, I can give you the signed thing. You can't make the signed thing, but I can verify that I made it. Mm-hmm. And so if you change it, I throw it away, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so it's a, it's a data object is what it is. It's yeah. a signed, trustable, network, transportable data object. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing this whole roles allowed stuff? I mean that's fine, but there are a lot of data in this object. Why is it just we're looking at the role the roles in the object? Mm -hmm. That's such a narrow old school perspective on technology. It's not even it's it's like that's what we've been doing since two thousand. Why are we still doing that? Right? You know, I can understand what is username and password. Then I go look up into a database and I don't want to look up twenty thousand things. But a JSON Web Token has all this data in it and you can add more data to it. Mm-hmm. So what we what we thought we want to do is basically use bean validation annotations to 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 uh say yes or no I want to accept this token based upon the data that's in it. Mm-hmm. And so our microprofile JWT implementation will first validate that the token is 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 good, right? Mm-hmm. It's not expired, the signature is okay. That's what the microprofile JWT specification says. And the microprofile JDBC specification says you can do roles loud, and then that stops. But what we can do is say, uh, I want a token that has, uh, you know, the issuer be this value, and you can write bean validation annotation to say that, put that bean validation annotation on your method, and then reject the token if it doesn't have that. Or you can could you also
0: write a bit validation on custom data inside the token? Let's say I don't know. Yeah. uh, Okay. Absolutely. This is great.
1: So you can put your own custom data in the JSON Web Token. Create your own custom bean validation annotations to verify that data. Put those annotations on your method, and then use that to uh, to say yes or no that I want to 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 accept this. And the greatest thing about bean validation is that if you have like say five different things that you want to check, you know, bean validation does allow you to make one annotation, put those five on it and then have that. So you could literally have like five or 10 different constraints that you're checking, but there's one top level bean validation annotation on your method, checking them all because all the other annotations are on that annotation. And it's, it's like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like, that is such a killer feature and at some point we will when we get the time we will add it to the microprofile jwt specification i did uh, work on that specification uh the, the 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 1.1 version i wrote all the the new text for that um and so you know uh, but at some point we will add that into the you know propose that to be added to the microprofile jwt specification uh but for now it's a feature inside tommy that works and it's great. And uh, it's one of my favorite features in there because I'm, I'm really into security these days.
0: What do you have with this? is almost like the IAM on AWS, you know, the access manager, because uh, you can look into custom stuff and combine it with existing stuff because what you have yeah. already the request scope, the context, so you could actually say, I'm the user and the principal, maybe even some additional data and what's coming, you know, over the wire with JSON web token, you can, you know, combine both and decide, is it allowed or not? So just, yeah,
1: absolutely. So great, great idea. Yeah. By,
0: by the way, the combining bin validation with JSON web token, not obvious to me, but it uh, should be obvious, but wasn't. Now that's that now idea. that it's spoken,
1: you're like, yeah. why yeah, are we wow. doing this? Yeah, exactly. Why isn't this everywhere? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely.
1: The, that's, yeah. That's, that's one of the greatest, one of the features I'm most proud of. Uh, wrote that one like about a year and a half ago. Okay. Uh, and so... And so yeah, it's uh, it's it's in there, and uh, it's it's super fantastic. So if you've got a if you've got a if you've got a a gateway or a JWT provider that allows you to put data into mm-hmm. your token, it's such a killer feature because. I mean, first thing you everyone, a- everyone loves you
0: this, right? I, I think yeah, everyone. Absolutely. yeah,
1: absolutely, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and so you know, if you've got custom business data in there, you're obviously putting it in there for a reason. Yeah, right. You want mm-hmm. to act on it when the yeah. request comes in. Yeah. well if if you can act on it and you could filter out stuff by by making annotations and just slap the annotations on stuff, it's so much better yeah and you don't have to have like a a servlet filter that filters this stuff out because you know it's really difficult to to pin a servlet filter to one specific method and have a different method have a different security yeah. requirement, yeah. You know, you, your server filter then has to know about all your endpoints to go, oh, it's that endpoint. Then I got to go follow this branch of logic. Oh, it's that Jax REST endpoint. I got to follow that branch of logic. Well, you can have yeah. all those logic described in beam validation annotations, just apply the right one to the, to the to the individual methods. And it's just the one annotation if you want it to be. It could be several if you want, mm-hmm. but it could be just one because you can wrap them up. And it's really, really fantastic.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It r- r- rolls out. It is a role-based access control, which is fine. But in JSON Web Token, we have far more data than just you know the principal and the what was the group, um, which which maps to role. So there is far more data, and we we are not using this effectively.
1: Yeah, and, and not to not to mention that if you do use roles allowed, you're putting several strings inside there, and you're yeah. copying and pasting those strings yeah. everywhere. So if you wanted to rename the role, you got yeah. a lot of find and replace to do.
0: Yeah. You're right. and,
1: if you, and, if you get, and if you type it incorrectly, guess what happens? Nobody gets in. It's very secure, then. <laughs> well, yeah, very secure, <laughs> but maybe bad for business, right? Yeah. yeah. No one's paying us.
0: I'll, I really have to re-invite you back and talk about uh, Jakarta Crazy Ideas with Tommy and uh, uh, the hidden features of Tommy, far more than this. Where people can find your company, the services, or Tommy Tribe?
1: Yeah, uh, so it's TommyTribe.com, T-O-M-I. T R I B E, and uh, everything's there on the front page. So you know, ActiveMQ, Tomcat, Tommy, we 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 support those things. Uh, we do have an API gateway that we wrote that does do these crazy fun things with putting data in there. And so uh, if people want something that's kind of like a developer-oriented API gateway, uh-huh. uh, you know, let us know. We we can help you with that. One of the things that I really like about our gateway is that you can have multiple microservices in the back end feeding data into the JSON Web Token. Okay. And you can have several different profiles of JSON Web Token. Mm-hmm. And so you can say, hey, when, when this kind of, when the, when this client shows up, you know, this OAuth 2 client shows up, uh, contact these three microservices and get them to feed data in. You know, we will give them, okay, this is the person who's logging in. We've verified their information. And go ahead and what what information do you think should be in their token? Mm -hmm. And the microservices can feed data in. And so therefore, it's like Mm -hmm. the best developer experience possible because it's not then just a security token. Mm -hmm. It does give the backend, the microservices who will potentially see the token in the future, it gives them the ability to inject data into the token. So you don't Mm -hmm. have to write your own OAuth 2 implementation just to get that capability.
0: It's like the data provider becomes a microservice. So exactly, roll. exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's really
1: cool. And it does support mod So, like Apache has mod rewrite routing capabilities. Mm-hmm. So you can say when the URL pattern matches this, it must have this kind of uh, token or that kind of token or these roles or that, you know. And so you can do, basically it's like being able to do mod rewrite and attach specific security requirements to individual rules.
0: So you have now your own product. Yeah. Okay, cool.
1: Absolutely. What's your
0: Twitter account?
1: It's dblevins, D-B-L-E-V-I-N-S, or not .com, just D-B-L-E-V-I-N-S, D-B-L-E-V-I-N-S. Perfect. First initial, last name.
0: Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Great.